Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow here tonight. As we're talking all things racing, we're talking a the Daytona 500 is coming up in 18 days. The Lucas Oil 200, the uh, ARCA Racing Series race, is in 10 days. We're going to talk to Max Tolman a little bit later on in the show. He'll drop the number 78 Chevrolet for Mason Mitchell Motorsports in the Lucas Oil 200 Presented by General Tire at Daytona International Speedway. It'll be his first career start, so we'll talk about that. Uh, and an Earnhardt is in the 500 for the 40th consecutive year. BK Racing, we're not sure if they're going to show up or not. We'll talk about all that and more. We'll take your phone calls. 917-889-8280 here to join the show. Clayton Caldwell and John Harlow here with you. Uh, first, John, I want to talk about Jeffrey Earnhardt. Uh, here's a guy who... Um, you know, ran at Circle Sport Racing with the Motorsports Group last season. It was announced in December, late December, that the team was the teams were breaking apart, uh, Circle Sport and the Motorsports Group. Uh, and the Circle Sport Racing had the charter, which they brought to the number 32 team, and Matt Benedetto, which left Jeffrey Earnhardt out of a ride. Jeffrey then was out of a ride for a little bit, but it was officially announced here a little bit more than a month later after his ride fizzled out at 33, that he will be back. He will drive the number 00 Chevrolet and the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series, uh, driving for uh, Starcom Racing. Uh, Starcom Fiber Company owns that team. Derek Cope, team manager, hires Jeffrey Earnhardt here for the full season uh, in 2018. What are your thoughts on that? Well, um, it's an Earnhardt in a 500, which is great, but... It's an Earnhardt in God knows what kind of equipment. I mean, they ran a couple races last year with Derek Cope. I mean, how much of it's the equipment, how much of it's Derek Cope, we're not quite sure what they're going to end up with on the track. Um, They leased the charter from Childress, so they're locked into the race. But, I mean, okay, it's a guy who's going to be fighting for 35th and could end up being the guy who takes out half the field because – Jeffrey Earnhardt's an okay driver. He's never shown anything in the truck or Xfinity, but because he's got the name Earnhardt and he can get some backing behind him here and there, he finds his way into the Cup Series. Um, He's no Dale Jr. He's no Kelly. He's no Dale Sr. But Jeffrey Earnhardt will be in the Daytona 500, marking the 40th year that an Earnhardt has raced in the 500. Yeah, 1979, uh, his grandfather Dale ran in his first 500, uh, driving back for Rod Osterlin's team, uh, and won Rookie of the Year that year, impressed everybody at Daytona. That was just a sign of things to come uh, for the seven-time champion. Uh, you know, and he's, he's the son of Kerry, who's the oldest son of Dale Sr. Uh, Jeff, he's Dale's Jr.'s nephew, um, in case you were kind of curious on how Jeffrey Earnhardt fits into the whole Earnhardt puzzle there, but here's an opportunity for a guy. And, and I don't know what kind of equipment they're going to have. I, I, I know there's going to be RCR support there, whether or not they're going to get RCR engines and chassis. I believe they probably will for their super speedway races, um, especially the, on the engine department. Um, so that'll be a little bit more competitive than what he's been in. I mean, he, he was in a car last year that really struggled uh, circle sport and, and the motorsports group 
Uh, they were. It was a good day if they finished 30th or best last year. Um, who knows what they'll have on, on the intermediate tracks uh, and the short tracks this year. But it's an opportunity for Jeffrey. And I'll give him this. There's a lot of kids out there, a lot of, a lot of young drivers, a lot of drivers trying to prove themselves who have – you know, who look at it and say, I'm only taking the, the, the stuff I can, you know, win in. Um, we've seen a lot of drivers lose their careers over that because they, they don't want to ride around in equipment that they're not going to win in. And Jeffrey will do that. And, uh, you know, that, that just, to me, it shows you that you love, that you love racing and you, and you want to continue to uh, be a part of this sport. But, you know, it is a mystery, John, for sure, how competitive it's going to be um, here in 2018. Let's put it this way. You make a hell of a lot more money finishing 30th in the Daytona 500 than you and I will watching it. I mean, heck, you're going to pay to watch it. I'll sit at home and watch it for free, but you're going to pay to watch Jeffrey Earnhardt finish 30th at best in the Daytona 500. So, I mean, it pays a lot more doing that. He gets to continue his dream. He gets to continue the family tradition. But, I mean, the thing is, and we've talked about this over and over, there's a hell of a lot better drivers sitting out there wanting to ride who needs a ride and doesn't bring money with them. Uh, I think part of the reason Jeffrey Earnhardt is in this car is because he's able to bring money with him. He's got one race with VRX simulators. Um, he had Hulu on the car last year, which is probably how he got into 33. Um, they're still looking down the road, according to Pocris, which we talked about pre-show. Technically, it's a one-race deal with more possible throughout the season. So we know he's going to be in the 500. It's got a good shot at being a full-season deal. And if it doesn't fall through as a full-season deal, Starcom still has Derek Cope who can strap in and put the car and put the car on the track and get it going where it needs to go. Um, Nine with seven, I, still, go I still look at a lot of the great young drivers out there who have fought and kicked and struggled. Um, Joey Gase could be in a good ride. I mean, there's a lot of good rides that could happen. But it isn't there. I mean, you look, we're excited that Starcom is putting a team in. They got a charter. They're going to be there all year. But we're excited they're going to finish 30th to 35th because we'll be able to get the field closer to full. Yeah, and I'd say this, you know, and it is nice to see a a team that, I mean, they just started up last year. with their, As you mentioned, they ran two races last year with Derek Cope. Uh, had very limited track time last year in this stuff that they had. Um, but it's nice to see a team committed and say, you know what, we're going to go out and they lease, they, they lease the charter from Richard Childress racing. So they don't have one in their possession or they don't own it yet, but they lease one. And it's nice to see a team commit to the, the full schedule here and, uh, and say, you know what, we're going to go out there and we're going to try and run every race and, and, uh, and be as competitive as we possibly can. That's nice to see because we've seen a lot of teams shut down, you know, even including the truck series with Brad Kozlowski racing, Red Horse Racing we've seen shut down. So it's nice to see some of these teams, um, you know, somebody come in and, and actually have a, a, you know, a new team start from really scratch uh, and, and see what they can do. Kind of like the old days to say, hey, you know what, we're going to go out there and do this. And the charter allows them to do that. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about these charters and, and how they've, you know, not been what the ownership, I think, is intended or what NASCAR's intended. But here's an opportunity for a, a charter to to show – um, you know, it's worth here where you can say, Hey, here's a team that if this was five years ago, I don't know if this team can run a full schedule because they wouldn't make races. Well, now they're making every race. And if they can get a full season under their belt, 
you know, who knows what they can go where they can go after this. So um, that could be where a charter is beneficial to a team. We've seen different ways this has gone what, since the charters come in and since we've seen people start up teams. Tommy Baldwin tried to do it the right way. He ran as best he could on the races he knew he could, and then they start, started and parked whenever they had to. Um, you've seen Levine Family Racing grow from a partial schedule to a full schedule to where they actually have Casey Kane in the car, and they're expecting more this year. You've seen Front Row Motorsports come in and do what they can, and they've grown, and they've become more stable. I mean, they're mid-pack cars, but they're better than they when they first came in. They're fighting for 38th, 39th. Now they're fighting for 20th to 25th. Um, but then you've seen the team that David, David Stremme came in with the 30 team. Um, the oil company that was in there. Um, you've seen Team Extreme Motorsports come in and be gone before the blink of an eye. Hell, their car got stolen. One time they were going to Daytona and the car got stolen in the hotel parking lot. Um, you see the dumpster fire that's BK Racing. Um, so basically, if you're going to be anything in this sport, you need to be Joe Gibbs. You need to be Tony Stewart and Gene Haas. You need to be Roger Penske. You need to be Rick Hendrick. You need to be Richard Childress. Um, Chip Ganassi, Petty's hanging on by a thread. Uh, you've got JTG Doherty that keeps doing the right thing, but they end up, they're still a mid-pack car, but they're fully sponsored all the time. And actually, they're fully sponsored without drivers bringing money to the table. You've got two guys that are doing it the right way in JTG Doherty. The team is selling themselves. They're putting the drivers in that they feel is best for the team, and they're continuing to grow. You see it up front. You see a few of the guys up there who are, I think if Kyle Busch didn't have a sponsor, he'd find a way to get in the top ride because Kyle Busch is a hell of a driver. Matt Kenseth is a hell of a driver, and he didn't have sponsorship, and Matt Kenseth is going to be in the same place I am watching the race at home on his recliner. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and it, that, that's what it comes down to ultimately is the fact that, you know, you have to have, um, you know, you have to have an, uh, the money to do this now. And uh, it's it's – Certainly, um, much more I feel like nowadays than it was, you know, ten, fifteen years ago. But it's always been about money. Um, just, just to what extent is really uh, the question. Um, so, but again, it's nice to see a team that kind of started from from scratch, uh, come into the Cup Series and try and run full time for the season. Jeffrey, we'll see what Jeffrey Earnhardt's got. It's not a obviously. I don't think anybody expects this team to go out there and make this playoffs this season. Um, but it's a ride, and it's something to have. 917-889-8280, Talking Circles, Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow with you. Another interesting little uh, news nugget this week, I guess you could say, was Ben Kennedy, um, the former Truck Series driver and the nephew of Brian France, the uh, CEO of NASCAR, Um Ben Kennedy, his mother also is Lisa France Kennedy, who's Brian France's sister, who is uh, the chairman of Speedway of International Speedway Corporation, ISC. Uh, he will looks like he's going to run the truck series this year, John. A, uh, a very interesting little uh, nugget there, because here's Kennedy, who, who ran last year in Xfinity for Richard Childress, ran last year in Xfinity for uh, GMS Racing, ran in the truck series. He's now going to be uh, the general manager of the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. He's going to work uh, right under NASCAR Camping World Truck Series managing director 
um, Brad Morin, and he also will work with um, Elton, uh, Sawyer. Elton Sawyer, who's the vice president of, of competition. So, uh, and Elton Sawyer, if you know that name, it's a former Xfinity Series driver back in the 90s. So, uh, kind of an interesting little uh, thought there, John. Uh, what do you think, Ben Kennedy? You know, a young guy in, in, a, in a sport that um, features a lot of old older people, uh, old race car drivers now. He's probably only like 25 years old. Uh, a little bit of fresh blood here in NASCAR. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's really interesting that um, if Ben Kennedy, and they, if they really wanted to, Lisa France, Kennedy, Brian France, Jim France, they can buy and sell you and me and Lee in Virginia and almost everybody in the field. If they wanted Ben Kennedy and if he really wanted to do it, they could have bought him into Joe Gibbs, bought him into Kyle Busch Motorsports. They could have bought him into Hendrick Motorsports. Ben Kennedy had his one win. He was respectable sometimes, but he wasn't anything to write home about on the track. Uh, The one thing I think he does bring to uh, the truck series is a fresh perspective of someone who's actually been in the truck and who's run it recently and knows the drivers in the garage. He knows the financial situation. He was running against the Brad Keselowski trucks, and he sees why they're going away. I think it might be fresh blood that can uh, sort of share with his uncle and his mom saying, hey, we got to do something with this business model or this is going to go away. But also the other thing is, I bet you his job at NASCAR pays a hell of a lot more because now he's able to get into the family funds and collect his piece of the pie. Yeah, like you mentioned, 73 Truck Series starts. He won uh, in 2016. He he won his lone Truck Series race driving for GMS Racing at Bristol in 2016. Uh, Ran 16 races last year in the Xfinity Series. Like I said, he he ran for GMS Racing and Richard Childress Racing. Uh, Ran Homestead. Missed, missed a couple of races uh, for GMS. They were supposed to run more than what they did. Um, but it, a very, um, you know, interesting, I, I thought very interesting hire there because, again, you know, it's a young kid who is in a, a series that has a lot of older, and uh, in a series that has a lot of older um, people running it and, and NASCAR who has a lot of older people running it. So to, to put in a kid who is only 25, 26 years old now um, – I think it's 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 refreshing to see, and and we'll see what kind of you know what changes happen to the truck series. I mean, we we've already got um, the spec engine coming with the Elmore engine in the truck series this year. I'm uh, not you know I know they they kind of want to look at it and put the um, maybe look at the composite bodies uh, for the truck series, so maybe have some input on that. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of tracks to me, John, that we could go to in the truck series that we don't, and that's a crying shame. Um, but, uh, you know, what changes would you like to see implemented in the truck series? Well, in the truck series, I'd like to see uh, more of the television pie fall its way into the truck series. Uh, we talked before uh, with Tommy Joe Martins about how much money actually falls into the truck series. And it isn't much. His team ran as good as you can. He made the playoffs with his team. His teams were challenging for a championship, and he lost money every year. You can only lose so much money before you have to say, okay, thanks for playing, bye-bye, like Brad Keselowski did. He's looking to go further down the road and eventually own a cup team, and he said, okay, I understand the business model at this end. I need to make more money as a driver, 
and focus on that. So whenever I get done driving, maybe I could take over Roger's team and go forward with the thing. I'd like to yeah, see the he- truck series get away from being at some of the companion races. Absolutely. Um, and I think it'd be better for the Xfinity series that way because the trucks actually make the Xfinity cars look bad. The truck races are some of the better races you watch all season. The big hole that they punch in the air, there's less aerodynamics involved. And it's a better race 90% of the time than your Xfinity races. And your Xfinity races, you're only watching the cup guys in cup stuff fighting for the wins. And once in a blue moon, you'll get a outlier who isn't a cup driver, but he's driving for a team that's basically funded by a cup like William Byron was for Junior Motorsports, which is partially owned by Rick Hendrick. So it'd be nice to see them get to the shorter tracks. It'd be nice to see them sort of do their own thing. But as long as the TV money's driving the show and TV doesn't want to go to South Boston, TV doesn't want to go to Langley, TV doesn't want to go to IRP, they're not going to go. You're right. And that's that's a, a big aspect thing a lot of people forget about is the television deal. Uh, I think a lot, also a lot of what a lot of people forget about is the fact that, you know, um, you got the big – monopoly of, of ISC and SMI owning these racetracks too, and they don't like to lose their dates. And that's understandable to business, you know, but uh, as far as NASCAR is concerned, you know, and the truck series, I agree. I would like to see them go to a little bit more non-companion events. Even if we go to a Darlington or a, uh, a Richmond again, which, you know, the trucks used to go to both of those racetracks and put on some great shows. And it would, you know, it, to me, it would go back and, and, and make this sport a little bit more, towards its roots, this, this series, at least, you know, the truck series ran on so many great short tracks back in the nineties. Um, you know, and I would love to see them run at Nashville, you know, Arca's running at the Nashville, uh, USA, uh, short track there in Nashville, Tennessee. That's a great old short track. Um, one that was in a cup series until 84 and the Xfinity series guys ran there until the two thousands. Um, I would, that'd be a series. I would love to see them go back there. And uh, I think it puts on a great show. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different um, short tracks that could go to. But, again, you bring up a great point about the TV deal, where TVs don't want to spend, you know, uh, money on, on the announcers to go to different racetracks and the cameraman to go to different racetracks and a whole production team to go to a different racetrack uh, for an Xfinity Series or Truck Series race. So, yeah, that's, that's something that's underrated, uh, I think, when you look at it for sure. Um, you know, but – what can Ben Kennedy, that's my question, you know, uh, what do you think Ben Kennedy could do for this series um, in your eyes? Not much, other <laughs> than put the name Kennedy in the series. And um, right. another France family member collecting a check from the big corporation. Um, he, he didn't seem, you never heard him talk much, or you haven't heard anything much about it, that he, he knew his setups or he knew how to put the, put the truck, yeah, he knew how to drive. But somebody else is building that truck for him. Someone else get ready for him. Someone else was in his ear telling him uh, what the setup was and everything. It's not like he's going to be in there and be some engineering guru who's going to find new ways to make the truck product better. Um, I think the only thing he's going to give is a perspective of what it's like in the series as a driver, what it's like in the series working with the owners who are a lot of times robbing Peter to pay Paul to keep things going. I mean, you look you've seen some really good teams that have gone away. Kevin Harvick incorporated. Part of it was because Kevin and Delana had Keelan. They wanted to be parents and they didn't want to fight with the business thing anymore. 
great truck series went away. Jermaine, great truck team, went away. They wound up, instead of having two solid truck teams, they wound up going back to uh, going to the cup level with one car. If you remember back in the day, Joe Gibbs ran a truck. Richard Childers ran a truck. Roush ran trucks. None of them do anymore. And you know why? Because there's no money to be made there. I mean, they say about the truck series is supposed to be a feeder series up and above. You'd think that the big-time car owners, if that's what they really believed, would have a team so they could start putting somebody from the ground up. The only one you really see that happening is Kyle Busch Motorsports, and his people are being fed into Gibbs most of the time. Um, You saw that with Eric Jones. You saw it with Daniel Suarez. You saw it with uh, Christopher Bell right now. And Daniel Byron – yeah, Byron got away. William Byron got away. But you're seeing that through Joe Gibbs and Toyota, where they're having Kyle Busch as the uh, feeder team into Joe Gibbs racing instead of Joe Gibbs doing it himself. If it made money, Richard Childers would have a team. If it made money, Roger Penske would have a team. If it made money, Jack Roush would have a team. And they don't. So that basically tells you where the status of this series is. Yeah, listen, it's an interesting topic for sure i think there's a lot of things you can look at um as far as this truck series is concerned but you know here's something i think that uh you know we don't really have a driver in nascar's higher ups which is something that that i think um we might need now you could say brett bodine who drives the pace car and i'm not sure how much input brett has in the nascar meetings when when they have meetings and stuff like that but here's a guy who again a driver who says, no, 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 look at it from the driver's perspective. Um, that might be something to keep an eye on as well with Ben Kennedy uh, joining NASCAR uh, and, and really becoming a, a, a member of, of NASCAR. Uh, 917-889-8280, Talking Circles, Clayton Caldwell and John Harlow here with you tonight. Uh, stay tuned. We're going to talk to Max Tolman, who's going to make his ARCA Racing Series debut at the Lucas Oil 200 at Daytona International Speedway in a couple of weeks. Uh, it'll be his first career start, as I said. Um, so we'll talk about him, his expectations for this race. Uh, speaking of Daytona, John, you know, we're only 18 days away from the Daytona 500, uh, you know, 11 days away from qualifying for the Daytona 500. And you still have uh, a few things up in the air. One is BK racing. Now, Monday, uh, Bob Pockers tweeted, um, that Monday there's going to be a decision coming down from the court about what happens with that team's charters. Um, but what are your thoughts <clears throat> You know, if you were to make a bet right now, do you think BK Racing uh, comes to the, the, down to Daytona and tries to make the Daytona 500? Possibly. I'm leaning toward yes. And part of the reason is Union Bank wants to get as much money out of this as possible. If BK sells a charter through Union Bank, if they end up getting the receivership for it, if they sell a charter, who the hell, who the hell is going to be there to have it? There's no cars out there. I don't see anybody lining up to get in and get a charter and get crappy equipment that BK has. So I think if anything, the bank may try to do it and put somebody in there who could run the team for them. But as much as you see, there's more than 8 million bucks in unpaid loans and fees. Um, They have two charters right now and they technically own the third or no, they well, no, owned they the third, won. but they sold it to the front row. But that's still up in the air. Um, right. 
which was leased the front row one was leased to TriStar, so who knows what's going to happen there. Um, It just has mess written all over it, and Ron Devine has been everything begin, and those yahoos were, but worse. Because at least George Gillette and Bobby Ginn, they came in and at least tried to do something at first and spent money they didn't have and were competitive. BK Racing spent money they didn't have to finish 35th. So, I mean, it's embarrassing that this is going through the court system. Um, And it's all, I mean, it depends on what Union Bank wants to do. If they want to just say the hell with it, and then there's two charters goes away. What do they do with them? Because right. well, 36 the, charters are assigned, and if yeah. two of those charters, go, or at least one of those charters go away, there's 35. What's in right. the rule book? Do they go to the 37th place team in points and say, congratulations, you have a charter? That's a great question. We've never – with this new chartering system, we've never seen this before. Um, you know, We've never seen a team sort of – you know, I guess NASCAR either take a charter away or, or whatever's going to happen on Monday – when we figure this out, but you know, here's where I get an, an upset is, you know, this is affecting other race teams. You talked about uh, the charter that they sold to Front Row Motorsports. Front Row Motorsports has now three charters that they own, and BK has one that they own. Um, and and as far as the charter for BK Racing is concerned, you know, if you owe somebody eight million dollars and that's the case, you know, to me you deserve to lose that charter. But where I feel bad for it is a team like Front Row Motorsports who has three charters. And they leased to TriStar, and they've done everything. Front Motorsports has been nothing but professional throughout their entire tenure in NASCAR. They're a little team that's working their way up, trying to get better every year. Um, and, and they went out there and purchased this charter, you know, with good intentions. And, and, and they've done everything that, by the rule. They've done everything great. And now they could get – it could affect them a little bit here. And that, to me, is, is where you kind of look at this and say, that's where I, I say shame on UBK Racing because – you know, you could do what you want, and if it affects your own race team, fine. But when you start affecting other race teams like TriStar Motorsports, whose owner just passed away over the, this past year, and, and uh, the son is running the race team there. So, you know, it, and a team that just got back to the Cup Series last year after about a 20-year hiatus and running in the Xfinity Series for so long. You know, you, you feel bad for those guys and that team, those teams who are sort of collateral damage to this whole thing with BK racing. I personally don't think you're going to see BK racing down in the Daytona 500. I just think it's too messy. I'm not sure right now a driver would take that. Um, there's so much, there has been a lot of rumors. Even last year we saw, we read a lot of rumors there that Ron Devine had issues paying drivers. Uh, Doug Richard, who was a, a great uh, crew chief and, and a big part of BK racing left that team in December. Um, so to me, it's kind of looking, you know, and you saw, um, Andrew Marlowe, who used to own that team, and and he backed out in November. So uh, it just seems like every all the po- all the fingers are pointing towards BK Racing not showing up to Daytona uh, in a couple of weeks. I don't disagree with you on that one. And the sad part of it is, and this is where you wonder with this charter system. Now, NASCAR, after, what, five years, can pull the charter if you finish in the bottom three and they can give it to somebody else. The thing is, if you can sell a charter and it doesn't stay in the top, I mean, wherever, I mean, how can you make money on something that isn't yours? So if NASCAR decided to pull the charter back, which they can't, according to the rules, 
I don't know why they gave Ron Devine a charter to begin with other than he fit the points criteria, because if you look at almost every other sport, before you can become the owner of a team, there's a background check from the governing body. They make sure that your crap's in order. They make sure that you don't have any brushes with the law. They make sure that you are financially stable before they bring you into the fold. NASCAR, it's like, okay, you want to bring four wheels and uh, a chassis? Go ahead. And then if they get enough, have a charter. You are guaranteed in the next 36 races. Okay, great. Oh, you're a dirtbag who doesn't pay any bills, and the bank's coming after you, and they want the ownership of those charters. What's it going to do? The bank can't do it. If they don't, if they don't run the Daytona 500, that charter that BK useless. It brings union zero. Right. So somehow, some way, Union Bank wants to make and recover as much of that eight million as they can. The only problem is for them to be able to make that charter worthwhile. They have to spend money to lose money. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting situation here. Uh, and we're going to hear more about it next week after the ruling uh, on Monday. 917-889-8280. You're listening to Talking Circles. Clayton called one. John Harlow with you. Uh, and we're going to speak to ARCA Racing Series driver Max Tolman. Max Tolman will make his ARCA Racing Series debut in the number 78 Chevrolet for Mason Mitchell Motorsports in the Lucas Oil 200 at Daytona International Speedway. It was announced today. Uh, Max, congratulations on the news. Uh, we're happy for you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. I'm uh, super stoked to be driving for Mason Mitchell Motorsports uh, at Daytona next Saturday. Um, hopefully it's going to be a good show. Yeah, it always is. That ARCA race is always something to watch for sure. Uh, you're 21 years old from Chester Springs, Pennsylvania. Uh, you've done some sports car racing, um, but is this your first endeavor into stock car? I know you did some races in the K&N East Series last year, um, but can you just tell us a little bit about your racing background? Yeah. So this is going to be my first race, actually, that's <clears throat> on something that's bigger than a 5 eighths of a mile. I did um, – Kern, that was the biggest track I've been on in an oval, but I did some uh, K&N stuff last year at New Jersey. Uh, that was my first race in a stock car, but uh, grew up um, not in a racing family, but when I was 11 years old, decided to stop by a local track in Pennsylvania that uh, ran a bunch of quarter midgets on every Sunday and Saturday. So that's kind of how it started. A friend of mine used to used to race he still races um wheel and modifieds but i just i just got hooked on that and uh grew out of quarter midgets and got my SCCA racing license kind of went the road course route of things instead of running late models and legend cars and uh i'm definitely a road course racer at heart and then i decided that you know miatas are a lot of fun it's probably the most fun race car i've ever driven uh great racing Throughout the whole United States, you can go anywhere pretty much and race a Miata and have a good time, and it's not even an expensive cost. So uh, shortly after Miata racing, I decided to jump in a Porsche GT3 Cup car that we uh, used to play around with at my home track in New Jersey. And shortly after that, we decided to start our own team called Pullman Walker Racing. And since 2015, we've been running in the GT3 Cup Series this past year, we got support from Porsche themselves up in Canada, and this year we're also going to be doing more racing up in Canada with uh, Porsche Center North Toronto. 
Hey, Max, it's John Harlow. Uh, thanks for joining the show with us tonight. And um, you had the announcement today you're driving for Mason Mitchell Motorsport, the Lucas Oil 200. Uh, what are your feelings heading into the race, and what's it mean to you driving for a car owner who's so committed with a championship-caliber team? Yeah, the, the guys over at Mason Mitchell have been doing a great job at the shop all week. For uh, you know, past couple of weeks I've been there, and uh, I think Mason and I are really developing a good relationship. They're just a great bunch of guys to work with, and uh, I'm excited to be at the track with them and uh, see what our car has speed-wise. We, uh, we tested last week at Talladega, uh, probably ran around 400 miles there, but we didn't get much testing in at Daytona, but I, I believe that with my crew chief, Doug Richard, and, uh, and Mason and the guys back at the shop, we're going to have a really fast car for, uh, for the test and hopefully in the draft as well. You mentioned Doug Richard, who's the crew chief, and uh, for people who aren't familiar with him, I mean, he goes back to the 70s. He worked for Junior Johnson in the 80s, won a championship with Dale Earnhardt in 1980 as well, uh, and most recently was at BK Racing. With somebody with that racing background, what does that do for you, somebody start, just starting out in stock car racing? How, how valuable is that? Yeah, Doug's been a great help um, just for the whole team and for myself in, in starting my uh, stock car uh, racing career and uh, just in the garage he's, he's probably one of the most valuable people that I've always looked up to and uh, having that relationship with him uh, on and off the track hanging whether it's hanging out getting lunch he's just a really really good uh, person to be around um, so that that transfers to the through the garage hanging out with the team it's a great asset to Mason Mitchell Motorsports I think the guys are meshing along just great um uh, and, you know, all that knowledge that he's got from years and years and years of experience, you know, him leaving BK and I think him going to a smaller team and going to ARCA, um, you know, the guys over at ARCA are really pleased and happy to see him coming back into the ARCA series for, for this year. Hey, Max, it's your first race of any kind at a super speedway. Uh, what are you most looking forward to? What has you most nervous? And when you did your test at Talladega, how many guys did you try to make friends with so you can get some drafting partners? Yeah, so uh, I'll hit the Talladega one first. Talladega, uh, there was a couple teams down there, not many ARCA teams. Um, so we were just kind of focusing our, on our car and single car runs. So we didn't get to do any drafting down there. Um, but uh, I think we're going to have, have a good car in the draft. I, I know what the draft feels like. Um, it's just all about being in that car of, or in that pack of 40 cars, you know, bumper to bumper, listening to your spotter, making sure you guys are communicating. All right. Um, and just, just try not to be the hero of the race. Um, I'm mostly looking forward to just the drop of the green flag. And, uh, I'm not, I'm not going into this race, you know, holding my breath thinking I'm going to be in some sort of, you know, big crash or anything like that. Um, I think, you know, just try and stay clean the best you can. I know it's Daytona and things happen, but um, I think with my uh, spotter, Tyler Green, and uh, our, our whole guys over at Mason Mitchell, hopefully we'll have a have a good run at it to the, for the finish. You mentioned Tyler Green, the spotter. It's interesting. You know, he comes from a, a huge racing family uh, with, with, you know, Jeff Green and, and David Green. Um, his uncle Jeff and his, his, his dad, David, uh, and Mark Green, of course, also ran in the Xfinity Series as well. So, uh, you know, you got him there to lean on. Also, Mason Mitchell, former uh, ARCA Series champion, 
um, you know, a, a young kid who, who's started this team and, and really a, a startup team in the ARCA series for the last couple of years. Um, what, how have you leaned on those guys, the guys who have the experience in stock cars? I know Tyler's done some uh, short track racing as well. And then you got Mason, who, like I said, is the ARCA champion. How have you leaned on those guys? And what have they told you here to get ready for your first race? I think I think the one of the biggest things is going to be having Tyler um, and I working well together and getting comfortable because he's going to be my eyes for that race. He's going to be telling me what's going on in front of me, behind me, um, in the pits, you know, around the whole track, and that's that's really important, especially as it's such a track with such high speeds and close racing. Um, so I'm really looking forward to just working with him um, in the draft, getting to know who's around me working with some friends. Uh, as far as Mason goes, Mason's been a great help. He really spent a lot of time with me at Talladega, just, you know, going over the line and how to really, really be a good super speedway racer. Uh, you know, he's, a, of course, a past 2014 champion. And that being said, he, he's no uh, he's no rookie out there. So he, he knows what he's doing. Um, he's been a big help um, just around the shop. I think all the guys really really appreciate him even him being 23 years old you know my, my dad met mason for the first time and he's a really really impressive person to work with hey max when you uh start practice at daytona is your main goal follow bobby gearhart and figure out how he gets around the track because nobody gets around daytona better in an arker car than bobby gearhart yeah um i think our main focus is is going to be trying to get that drafting experience um, being, being in practice, you don't want to, you know, get in, involved in an accident, but just maybe a three car, four car draft. Um, definitely Bobby's out there. He's definitely someone I would like to follow around, uh, the high banks of Daytona, but, uh, looking for some friends out there. Got some, uh, got some people out there that I know that I can work with and stay close with. Um, you know, just keep, keep it on the bottom is what I'm, what I've been told. So, uh, Bobby's on the bottom. I'm going to follow Bobby, of course. Um, Ma- uh, cool. um, Max, one of the things I was wanting to know, whenever you said about practice and everything, getting a three, four car drafts, learn what the drafts like, find out, get some friends. Um, you said earlier things happen at Daytona. You got a good backup car ready to go as well, because there's a always a chance you may need to pull that thing out of the truck. Yeah, I went down and uh, tested with a different team at Daytona while I was trying to figure my, my plan out for 2018. Um, yeah, we, we will have a backup car um, if something does happen, knock on wood. But, you know, I think for practice, it's make sure your car is good in single-car draft. Um, and then just try and try and get into a little bit of drafting, nothing major. Um, I know at the test there was like a 15-car draft. Some sketchy things were going on. Um, just want to keep the car clean and because um, the qualifying is not like it used to be. It's not single car runs where you can go run the top uh, two times and run the bottom and that's your fast lap. So I'm looking forward to qualifying, especially uh, with this uh, new pill drawing uh, where it's a randomized uh, group of cars you go out with and draft with. So maybe going out during practice and just getting the feel for who's around me and who I want to draft with during the race and who I don't want to be around. It's going to be interesting to see for sure. Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow here with you on Talking Circles tonight. We're talking to Max Tolman, uh, ARCA Racing Series driver. 
He will make his ARCA Racing Series debut at the Lucas Oil 200 at Daytona International Speedway uh, here in a couple in 10 days. Uh, you know, you talked about the ARCA day, day, race at Daytona. That was announced today. You talked about some racing up in Canada as well this year. What else is on your schedule, Max? Do you have any other ARCA races planned right now? Yeah, so we're working on it. We're looking at a few other races. Um, I think Talladega is going to be on our list for sure, as we just did 400 miles there. We've got to get that on the schedule. Um, but we're, we're working on it. Um, hopefully announce some things in the coming few weeks shortly after Daytona. Hey, Max, you have a sponsor, Zumi, on the car. Tell us about it. Yeah. It looks like a pretty interesting company. Yeah, Zumi's great. Zumi's been on board with me since the – K&N days, um, just it's a couple guys out from Princeton started it back in 2015. It's, it's a solely based education company that figures out how you learn. Um, there's a, the, like 364 different ways people learn. And so for those students that, you know, go to college and maybe, uh, maybe they're a visual learner or maybe they're a hands-on learner or maybe they're an online learner, there's, there's so many different ways to learn. And so this company is helping people understand how they personally learn. Yeah, it, it's uh, a very interesting company. I, at first, I've heard about them, but um, great to, to see that they're stepping up in a big way here uh, in the ARCA series, uh, helping you, you out here in 2018. Um, you know, it says that you're a Tony Stewart fan growing up. He was your favorite driver. What about Tony did you admire? Yeah, some people will not like that he's my favorite driver because he's, uh, you know, a Kyle Busch or he's a hothead or something like that. But I have, I have a lot of respect for the guy. I think he does a lot of good things for people on and off the track. Um, off the track, he does a lot of fundraising um, and just is a really, really nice guy. So I, I, I've met him a couple times um, through my years of attending races, and he's always been a a, a nice person to me. Um, so I, I, I usually just try to put the attitude behind because it's your job when you're racing on the track. And if you get, you know, rubbing is racing, you know, if you, if you get side by side with somebody or you cut somebody off, you're trying to win. I mean, that, that stuff happens. So I try to not think about that, but I, I've always just, you know, looked, looked up to him as a, as somebody who not necessarily that I want to be, but somebody who's just a, a, almost like a Carl Edwards, someone who's just super nice with the fans and, it, you know, you can actually talk to, um, being another driver, um, you know, you can ask him for advice, you know, he'll try to point you in a direction and, uh, give you the best answer you can. All right, Max, uh, being a Tony Stewart fan myself, uh, that gets you cool points with me, but then you suck because you're an Eagles fan <laughs> and I'm a oh, Patriots yeah. fan. So oh, where boy. will you be crying right. at Sunday night after the game's over? <laughs> I'll be uh, I'll be cheering at Chris Knight's house. I'll be cheering. Uh-huh. I think uh, I think I think our Eagles can uh, pull off the win if they play like they did uh, the other week. I think I think we're going to be in good shape. I mean Carson Wentz. That's a shame, but I think uh, I think we got a we got a bunch of birds that are about to go win. No, an underrated defense. I mean, it's going to be a good game. It's going to be a good game. It is going to be a good game. Yeah. And an underrated defense for sure in Philly. Uh, so you're going to be driving um, the number 78 car. Uh, your teammate is Quinn Hoff. Uh, what, what can you tell us about Quinn and, and um, you know, 
how has he helped you in in development here as you get ready for Daytona? Yeah, um, I know he's raced in the past. Um, I actually haven't met him at all. I've just been uh, so you know we were at the Talladega test and doing a bunch of things. I've been in and out of the shop, kept my seat poured and et cetera. So I haven't you know physically met him, but I'm sure that you know being teammates will definitely be helping each other out there in the draft, and uh, he'll definitely be someone I want to play nice with and uh, look forward to to racing against. Hey, Max, I'm a Pennsylvania boy as well, so we we got two things in common. We both like Tony Stewart. We're both from Pennsylvania. You just are misguided with the Eagles. Um, (laughs) But a lot of Pennsylvania racing, I mean, there's a lot of dirt sprint cars there. And you don't hear much about road racers coming from Pennsylvania other than Butch Leitzinger. Um, What steered you away from running dirt to getting the road races? Yeah, actually, I've never really run dirt before. Um, I ran, you know, back when I started quarter midgets. I think I did one or two races on uh, on dirt, uh, you know. But as far as anything else, I haven't run any sprint cars or anything like that. Um, but I mean, if the opportunity comes, I wouldn't be opposed to it. You know, some wing sprint car or something like that. I for sure. I mean, dirt's you know it's fun to slide around. I, I'm a big uh, I love racing in the rain, so I'm a big fan of, you know, when it pours. Um, I think, you know, it really just levels the playing field. So, uh, I mean, sliding a car around is not usually what you want to do when you're a road course racer, but I'm not opposed to it. For sure. And, Max, thanks so much for joining the show. Good luck at Daytona here on two Saturdays from now, and uh, we appreciate you. Be safe out there. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me on the show. And the goat's no going to kick some eagle butt. <laughs> yeah. 10-4. <laughs> Max Stillman here. Uh, ARCA Series driver driving for Mason Mitchell Motorsports at Daytona, the Lucas Oil 200. Uh, like we said, it's his first career start. Interesting take, John. I mean, somebody who, um, you know, very, very – in the very beginning of his stock car racing career, uh, interesting to hear how he's decided to come to stock car racing and all that. Uh, it should be interesting to see how he competes – there uh on saturday i think one of the things max has going for him is he's got doug rickard doug richard is his crew chief and he's got uh one of the green boys on top of the tower so he's got some experience of people who know how to put the car together know how to set it up for daytona they have someone who knows how to guide somebody around the zoo that is daytona I think he's got a bigger step up than a lot of people whose first race is going to be the ARCA Series race at Daytona. Now, he's also going, I mean, Mason Mitchell's doing the best he can. I mean, I think he's putting his team together. He's building it up right, but he doesn't have the factory sport like Billy Venerini does. He's not going to be a Bobby Gearhart where Bobby Gearhart can go to Daytona and uh, be in the top five in his sleep. I think it's going to be a great run for him. I think it's going to be a great learning tool for him. And I hope like hell that Mason Mitchell Motorsports finds more races for this kid because um, Max just seems like he loves to race and he wants to be down south and he wants to run cars and he wants to run for a career. And I think it's awesome that we have this kid who's taking his first shot at the ARCA race in Daytona. The sad part is Max is 21 and he's just getting to the ARCA series. He's almost too old for this now. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, uh, you know, quick learner. 
um, you know, and, and he's run some, like you said, I think having a sports car background is, is great uh, because we're seeing more and more uh, road course racing here. And I think we're going to see some more road course racing, whether it's Xfinity, uh, whether it's uh, the Cup Series. We see the Robo at, at Charlotte this week, uh, this year. Uh, so I think all that's good. And, and having that background is, is, is uh, an asset because not a lot of NASCAR drivers come from there. And I want to uh, retract something I said earlier, and I apologize to Tyler Green and his family. He's the son of Mark Green and the nephew of David and Jeff. Um, so I wanted to p- point that out there. Um, but, yeah, like you said, Tyler, he, he's, a, he's a great spotter. He spots, I think, for McMurray in a cup series um, and, and does, a, does a lot of great things. You know, Doug Richard is a veteran crew chief. I mean, Doug's been around forever. Uh, and you, you can only learn, you know, it, it doesn't hurt for sure to have that much experience uh, up there on the box and, and on a spotter stand for you. Uh, 917-889-8280 here talking in circles. Clayton called one. John Harlow here with you. Uh, the cup cars, John, were out on the track this weekend, uh, today at Las Vegas Motor Speedway for a test. They had an afternoon and, and uh, morning session this week, uh, today here at um, – at Las Vegas, it was William Byron, Ryan Newman, Kurt Busch, Kyle Larson, Eric Jones. They paced the morning session. In the afternoon, it was Kyle Larson, Ryan Newman, William Byron, Kurt Busch, and Eric Jones. Uh, the interesting part about this was uh, the Chevrolets. It was the first time with the Camaro on the track, uh, other than Chase Elliott with a tire test a few weeks ago at Charlotte. Uh, but what do you, what do you, should we look too much into this as far as speeds are concerned with this test, or is it more just uh, feel and stuff like that? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, uh, Keselowski said after the after the test, he said, you never know who's tuned up to try to raise morale within their own team, and you never know who's legit. And he said, I think the bigger teams are fairly legit whenever they do the test, but then again, the production standpoint, sometimes the teams don't bring their best cars. He said, I mean, Penske's notorious for not bringing their best cars to the test. They usually bring a test a car that's a generation or two behind for production reasons. But they're not trying to hide anything. I mean, they want to make sure that they get the data from it and apply it to whatever their new thing is. And, I mean, Kurt Busch was happy with his speed. He said uh, his main goal is to get uh, accustomed to having Lee Scott on top of the box instead of Tony Gibson. So you see cars that are, I mean, you look at the leaderboard from the test. I mean, there are people you expect up there. And the thing that makes me a little nervous is, like I said, I mean, you heard Keselowski say you wonder who was legit and who wasn't. Uh, Eric Jones in the Toyota for Gibbs was two mile an hour slower almost than Kyle Larson. And two mile an hour slower than Byron was in the morning. So you got to wonder who's tuned up, who's worrying about setups, who's worrying about um, X, Y, and Z. And the thing that's scary is the the car, I mean, the manufacturer tests, um, you have Herring at 184, you have Allgaier at 182, and you have Reagan at 181 in the Toyota, Chevy, and Ford. And they were doing different kind of testing for the manufacturer. And, and what they do is a whole separate different thing than everybody else does. But you got to wonder whenever they're um, four mile an hour slower than the fastest session, the fastest car in practice. And Reagan was seven mile an hour faster, slower than uh, Larson was. You got to wonder what they're doing in those uh, manufacturer test cars. Yeah, for sure. That was glaring to me. 
you know, and, and maybe they're tr- trying something different and, uh, you know, just trying to, to break down data. But uh, it was, you know, I mean, Allgaier, you mentioned he wasn't fast, that, as fast as everybody was in the Chevrolet. Uh, and, and we don't know who's working on these cars, you know, they, well, how many people they have and stuff like that. So um, it, it's certainly something, uh, you know, I, I think we, sometimes people take too much of a test session, but um, just something to be aware of for sure. They'll be there tomorrow as well, testing at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Kind of an interesting topic. I, I heard it this week on the radio. And I want to get your take on it here, John, before we wrap up tonight. Um, you know, with, with the, uh, endurance 24-hour race at Daytona we saw this weekend, which was a, a fun race to watch. Um, you know, there was there's some talk about timed races in NASCAR instead of going by laps, uh, just going by time. And what are your thoughts on that? I mean, there's a lot of people out there who doesn't, don't think it's going to make that much of a difference. Uh, if they if NASCAR did that, it would make it easier to you know if you wanted to record the race, uh, make it easier to plan your day out if you had a certain time there. Um, but what are your thoughts on, on time races? Do you think we'll see it? Do you think it would be something good for NASCAR? Well, we've seen it in the Indy cars because um, the difference is IndyCar a lot of times has to buy the time on television to get themselves on. And they have a two-hour window, so they race. And if it may be a 300-mile race and there's a big wreck that takes a half hour of the caution out, they'll shorten the race to make the time window because – something else is coming on right after it and they have to get it within the time window. There are certain places. I, I mean, I was listening to uh, Skinner and uh, Brad Gilly earlier this week, and they were talking about um, the possibility of doing that. And they had, um, I forget who was the guest on with them. And they said about doing like the summer series, like TNT used to do but have like Martinsville, Richmond, a couple other things when it comes to those races and do them like on a Wednesday night. Well, if they do that on a Wednesday night, you're definitely looking at a time crunch because everybody wants their news at 11 o'clock or they have the window to get something in. Um, And plus you don't want people staggering out of the track at one o'clock in the morning on a, on a work night, especially at a place like Richmond where everybody's parking in somebody's house and half the parking lots, people's yards. So you want to make sure you get them out at a decent time because people have to go to work on Thursday. That might work if they do a, a midweek thing, but I'm not sure how much it's going to work um, going on a weekend. I think 400 miles, unless you're one of the big races like Darlington, Daytona, the finale, one of the Talladega races. I don't even think both Talladega races should be 500. I think the second one should be 400 like Daytona's is. I think your big Crown jewels can be 500 miles. Everything else should be 400 or lower. You saw the difference in Pocono when they dropped from 500 miles to 400 miles. The race became so much better because you didn't fall asleep in the middle. Hell, half the drivers fell asleep in the middle. Dover became a better race when it went from 500 miles to 400 miles. California became a better race when it went from 500 miles to 400 miles. I think it puts more strategy into it. I think it is better racing because... You're not pacing yourself for 500 miles. You're running it as hard as you can, as much as you can. So I think cutting the mileage down to some places is great. I mean, you look at the Phoenix in uh, New Hampshire races, those races are so fast that you barely get three pit stops in. So I think the timed races, it doesn't matter. Uh, but I think cutting the mileage down on, I mean, the, most of them have gotten smart and did that. But I think Darlington, uh, Daytona, 
the finale and one of the Talladega races. Those should be the only 500 mile races. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to cutting down some races. I mean, we've cut down a lot of them in recent years. You talk about Pocono. I remember, you know, I do remember when Dover was 500 miles, and that seems like it was forever. Uh, but you know, about time races, here's my uh, opinion on it. There's a couple of, of things I want to say. Uh, one is, you know, we gotta be careful because NASCAR, to me, is getting more and more like Formula One every year we get to. And I'm not sure why that is, uh, whether or not we have somebody in, in the sport that, that is a formula that used to run Formula One, uh, if that's the case. But if you do timed races, I think it's going to turn a lot of old school fans off because they look at it and say, we're not Formula One. We're not Formula One. We're not Formula One. Um, so you got to be careful with that. And, and I know people have to adjust to change, but I just don't think people would, would uh, accept that one. Because what are you going to call, you know um, – the EA Sports 500 at Talladega, what it used to be. Now, what, you're going to call it the EA Sports three-hour race? at the, And then it, all of a sudden, again, it sounds like a sports car race. It sounds like a, an F1 race. Uh, so you got to be very, very careful with that. And so, you know, I think our fans take pride in NASCAR. And that's the thing, you know, I growing up, and I've, I've been very um, honest about this, growing up I was a NASCAR fan. I didn't really care for IndyCar. I watched IndyCar every now and then. But I wasn't into it. I, I didn't really care for Formula One. I watched stock car racing because that's what I loved. I loved the, the short track racing and stock car racing. I thought the, the, it was so entertaining to watch. You know, and I don't want to mesh these series together to where basically if you watch all, you know, Formula One, it, it's sort of like NASCAR. To me, it should be different. That's what makes these series um, you know, so great. And that's what makes racing so great is you get kind of everything that you want. Uh, if you if you like short track racing, you like stock car racing, you can watch stock car racing. If you like what Formula One brings, go there. That's fine. Uh, I'm not going to argue with you, but to me, making them all the same is is a bad move. And I think that's something we got to look out for um, if you if you want to do that. Uh, the second thing is quick is you know we should be able to time our races out pretty well with judging you know how much a 400 mile race is and how fast we run lap times. We should be able to get these races over quicker and quicker we don't have as many cautions as we used to have we run faster than we ever have so these races should get over faster and faster i don't understand the need for this i think television's wanting a committed time to it if that's where it's coming from unless it's some yahoo who said hey uh, we need a timed race i think the distances on most of these races are right up the right up the ballpark um i think 500 laps at martinsville is tedious to watch I like Martinsville, but I think 500 laps is too much. Um, I mean, there's a number in there that's going to work, but I think 500 is just too much because it gets tedious watching the same cars on the same conveyor belt. Uh, And there's more of a difference at Bristol. You have uh, more movement and all that stuff because it's got the banking. You have two grooves where people are actually passing throughout the thing. Um, Time races. I don't think it's a good idea. I think the length of the races for most, most places are right, but I still say 500 miles for only the crown jewels, everything else at four or three, and you find out and go from there. Yeah, listen, I just think time races, it would bother a lot of fans, again, because we, I take pride in NASCAR racing, and uh, you know if you tell me that, that the um, race at Michigan is now called uh, the – 
um, Lipton T four hour race at Michigan or three hour race at Michigan, I'm going to be like, what? It sounds like Formula One. It sounds, it just, to me, it, you're, you're flirting with disaster there um, if you want to do that. Uh, I want to thank again Max Tolman for coming on the show. Uh, and uh, thank you guys for listening. If you hear, see us on Facebook, you see us on Twitter, like, give us a like. Uh, we'll see you next time here on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody.